Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What is going on? Welcome to the program. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Good morning, good abend, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Keep passing me, amigos. Me llamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa. Namaste, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I hope everybody took some time to have some remembrance for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I mentioned this and I'll mention it at the end of the podcast today that we should not be focusing on a day. We should not be remembering a day. We should not be taking the time out to learn what Dr. King stood for, what he died for, what he fought for, for just one day. It should be Martin Luther King second. It should be Martin Luther King minute, hour, week, day, month, year, lifetime, millennium, to eternity in terms of what we can do to treat each other the way that we want to be treated through love, peace, unity, harmony for those who deserve it because we judge people by what they are, by who they are as human beings, the fiber of their moral content, the fiber of their moral being, not by their race, not by their religion, not by their gender, not by how much money they have in the bank, not by how popular they are, not by any of those things. Learning, listening, learning from those who are different than us and then taking it down and passing it on to the younger generation. So in 15, 20, 40, 60, 80 years, we could be speaking about the generations that come after us, they can be speaking about loving each other based on who they are, not based on anything else. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, man, today on the podcast. Speak a lot about the NBA. Oh, yes, of course. If you're looking to um, really get juicy with some NBA talk and some Georgetown Hoya basketball talk, because after losing... To Butler and St. John. So when it comes to Georgetown basketball, I know you are. Go to my YouTube channel. Look up Wendell's World in Sports. I talk about uh, the video. I do video, man. Speaking about what's happening with my Georgetown Hoyas. Speak about what's happening in the NBA. Of course, I tackle the NBA um, during this podcast also. But uh, I make room to be speaking about what's happening in the NBA. Full of highlights. Full of videos. Full of music. So... Something that I'm proud of, something that I've worked hard for, YouTube video, you can follow me on Twitter, you can do all that good stuff, Wendell's World of Sports. Follow me on Twitter, it's just Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E, Wendell Wallace on Twitter. Follow me, subscribe to my YouTube uh, page, just become a Wendell Wallace stalker without being the stalker. You know what I'm saying? Unless you're just an absolutely beautiful female between the ages of 41 and 48. 
black, white, or Asian, Hispanic, anyone will do as long as you're good looking and has a wonderful sense of humor and can put up with silliness coming from me. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, let's get into this, man. Wild card weekend, this uh, past weekend, uh, Saturday's game, you had Cincinnati over Las Vegas 26-19, to you had Buffalo over New England 47-17, to then on Sunday... You had Tampa over Philadelphia, 31-15. San Francisco over Dallas. Man, we'll get into that, 23-17. Kansas City over Pittsburgh, 42-21. And then on Monday night, the Los Angeles Rams moving on over the Arizona Cardinals, 34-11. Just going back to the games on Saturday. Cincinnati has his first playoff victory in 31 years. Joe Burrow goes 24-34 for 244 yards, two touchdowns. Jamar Chase caught nine passes for 116 yards. Yes, we can speak about what happened near the end of the first half with the blown whistle. I love the way that they're trying to make these excuses like, well, you know, maybe they didn't hear it and maybe this happened and maybe that happened. No, no, no. It was a situation where on this particular play, the Las Vegas Raiders got screwed. Now, did it cost them the football game? No, it didn't cost them the football game. They had an entire half and many, many chances to get back into the game and win the game, but they didn't take advantage of them. So this is a situation where the Bengals are starting and are looking to move on and going to be moving on uh, this weekend. And Joe Burrow continues to uh, marvel. Joe Burrow continues to uh, get the job done for the Bengals. First time, as I mentioned before, in 31 years. Thank you very much for Marvin Lewis's contributions to get the Bengals to the playoffs as many times as he did, but couldn't get them over the hump. But uh, this is a situation where this is a different squad. And the Bengals, who last season, when you're speaking about Zach Wilson and everything that went down in terms of was this going to be his last uh, chance to right the ship. And when we're talking about writing the ship, just after, what, a 2-14 and 14 season or whatever the record was somewhere, which was putrid to maybe double the win total, if they could get to be 6-11, and 11, if they could get to be 7-10, uh, seven and seven and 10, even somewhere around there, that, you know, Mike Brown, frugal, thrifty, fiscally responsible, whatever you want to call him, cheap, not used to making dramatic, drastic moves in terms of firing coaches, that Zach Wilson would probably be the guy that if any coach was going to be retained after three or four years of not getting it done in terms of wins or losses is concerned, it would be any coach with the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, he doesn't have to worry about that now because the turnaround from the 2021 season or the 2020 season to the 2021 season has been absolutely remarkable. And I mentioned before, give it up for Joe Burrow. I don't know how many times I have to say this and going to have to apologize to the family and friends and fans of Josh Allen for when I was speaking about who's going to be the face of the uh, franchise or who's going to be the face of the league in the NFL in a couple of years when Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger and such finally retire and I was bringing up names like Justin Herbert and bringing up names like Joe Burrow and making the argument strongly for Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and such and uh, commenting upon the play of Herbert even in that last game of the season against the Las Vegas Raiders. Man, I completely forgot to mention Josh Allen, so we're going to get to him in a second. But just to stick with the Cincinnati Bengals, this turnaround, we always mention, I always mention, you always mention the terms or the teams that 
when you go into the season, you take a look and you say, all right, which team, because I know there's going to be a team here. I know there's going to be a team that's going to disappoint in terms of what the preseason expectations are. And I know there's going to be a team that's going to shock us all. Who's going to be that squad? Who's going to be the team that went 3-13, and 13, who went 4-12, and 12, who went 5-11, and 11, who went 2-14, and 14, who, were, who was going to uh, turn things around and be the team that makes the playoff or win a division or such when nobody was expecting it. We always do this every single year. And we could take a look at the Jacksonville situation. We could take a look at the Houston situation. We could take a look at the Detroit Lions situation. And we really couldn't make that much of a case in terms of them turning the season around and getting things going on the right direction or having a season similar to what the Cincinnati Bengals did. But Cincinnati, at least there was the chance, if you were going to be speaking about a team that was floundering last season and then turning it around and making it to the playoff, yeah, you could say the Cincinnati Bengals mainly because of the quarterback they had in Joe Burrow. Even though, if you remember, Joe Burrow was coming off a serious leg injury, which he suffered against the Washington Snyderskins later on in his rookie season. So there was some promise there, but it was like, well, yeah, we didn't know, A, how great Jamar Chase was going to be, the chemistry between Chase and Burrow. We didn't know that Burrow was going to elevate his game even more. We didn't know the defense was going to play as well as it did, especially in that playoff game against the Raiders. So everything just fell into place for the Bengals, and uh, you have to congratulate them. You have to uh, go ahead and give them a pound because they are moving on to face the Tennessee Titans. No word just yet on whether Derrick Henry is going to be able to play or not. And Tennessee had its ups and downs during the season, but they finished at the number one seed. And they're they're sneaky in terms of, is anybody speaking about the uh, Titans? I know after the uh, first weekend of the playoffs that uh, everybody's going to be babbling and gabbling about the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City football team and such and the AFC. But uh, we're kind of discounting, I think, the Tennessee Titans, mainly because of the loss of their number one threat on the offensive side of the football, Derrick Henry. And how is that going to have the impact, especially now when we're speaking about going into the playoff season, playing against the Bengals coming in, who are playing really good football and has the confidence now of having a playoff win under their belt, even though we, we speak about the history of the Bengals, and we speak about the history of all these teams. What is Joe Burrow, or what is Jamar Chase, or what is Joe Mixon, or what is Zach Wilson, or what does any of the Cincinnati Bengals know about 31 years of futility? It doesn't matter what happened, doggone, what happened in the 2000s or what happened in the early uh, 21st century and such. I mean, they, they're playing football, and they're playing football now. There's no connection there. So um, the Bengals... Moving on, well-deserved. Wendell's World in Sport, I'm your host, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The second game of the day on Saturday, as far as the NFL is concerned, the Buffalo Bills over the New England Patriots, 47-17. Man, what a ball game that was. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people from all races, faces, and places, and from around the globe who follow the National Football League, if the Buffalo Bills, if they're going to play like that, you tell me who's the leading candidates for winning the Super Bowl. If you're going to put on a performance like that now, it's one game. 
One flipping game, but goodness gracious sakes alive were the Buffalo Bills impressive. Again, 47-17 over Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I can't fathom. I can't think. I can't imagine that the Bills would do that to the Patriots. If you want to say that the Buffalo Bills were going to win, that's fine. But no, 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 no. You cannot convince me. That the, that the Buffalo Bills were going to put that type of a beatdown on the New England, New England Patriots. That's normally, if you take a look at the score, if you take a look at the one-sidedness, if you take a look at the beatdown, if you take a look at the smackdown that the Buffalo Bills gave the New England Patriots, that's normally what the New England Patriots do to the team that they're playing against, whether it be in the regular season or in the playoffs. You don't do that to a Bill Belichick team. You don't make Bill Belichick's New England Patriots or any team that he coaches over the last uh, 10, 15 years look like that, especially in a playoff situation. But that's exactly what the Buffalo Bills did. Now, we can take into account, we can have the argument, we can have a discussion on a later date, especially when the Bills play the Kansas City football team this upcoming weekend about how strong, how legit were the New England Patriots going in there with a rookie quarterback and some of the limitations that they had on offense to kind of gauge truly how impressive that victory was uh, this past weekend by the Bills. But still, man, that was something else. Scored on every single possession against the Patriots and Bill Belichick. And a good defense. And a good defense this season by New England. The Bills scored on every single offensive possession seven for seven boys and girls and josh allen 21 of 25 308 yards and five touchdowns the man was absolutely unbelievable unstoppable one of the better games in the nfl this season threw for 308 ran for 66 Unstoppable. Five touchdown passes, as I mentioned before. And again, I want to apologize because when we're speaking about franchise quarterbacks, when we're speaking about elite quarterbacks, when we're speaking about Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, when we're speaking about MVPs, when we're speaking about all those things, we need to include Josh Allen because that's exactly what it is when we're speaking about who's going to be that quarterback for the 2025, 2026, 2028, 2030 season. Got to, you got to put in Josh Allen up there. He's uh, he's not as athletic. He's not as dynamic. He's not as sensational. He's not as athletically awe-inspiring from the athletic standpoint of Lamar Jackson. But man, he's just as effective. And unlike Lamar, who's slight of build, Josh Allen is built like a doggone linebacker. You take a look at Josh Allen play, and you say to yourself, man, if Ben Roethlisberger was playing football, if Ben Roethlisberger was in his second or third year playing football in 2022 or 2021, this is who he'd be, Josh Allen. It was an unbelievable, unbelievable game. The running game was really great. You have Josh Allen, of course, now Devin Singletary, Ran for 81 yards on 15 carries. He had two touchdowns himself. But just the threat and just the amount of times that Josh Allen ran the football. I mean, ran the football. I mean, ran, running that thing like a doggone running back. What uh, Allen was doing was uh, incredibly impressive. 
And as I mentioned before, the Buffalo defense took advantage of uh, an inexperienced quarterback starting in his first game as far as the playoffs are concerned on the road. And the Patriots, just from an offensive standpoint, especially someone who could take the top off the defense at the wide receiver position, their lack of playmaking ability in that regard, it was, uh, it showed. It showed in spades. So the, the Buffalo Bills are moving on. And, and I, I, I tell you, very impressive from, uh, from Josh Allen. Very, very impressive. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Now, so the contest that we're speaking about now, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City football team, this was maybe a situation where many people were projecting this game, as far as the playoffs are concerned, a couple of weeks later or a week later when we're speaking about the AFC Championship game. Going to be on the road, Buffalo at Kansas City. This is a situation where maybe we're reading, or maybe I'm reading too deeply into this. Maybe I'm getting a little bit too much into what just happened, recency bias, in terms of what the Buffalo Bills did in their last showing on the football field against the New England Patriots because Kansas City was no slouch either, especially after TJ, just <laughs> yesterday, allowed TJ Watt to. Uh, um, pick up that fumble and score a touchdown. It was almost like, all right, we're awake. All right, time for us to get serious. All right, t- time for no more bullshitting. Let's go ahead and do what we need to do. Let's put the, let's let's go ahead and take out the uh, shotgun and put away old Yeller. Name, let's put him out of his mystery. Name, mainly Bill, uh, name Bill, um, Ben Roethlisberger. Let's go ahead and do that. So, let's not just you know try to have the narrative that the. Kansas City football team was uh, slouch potatoes in the game that they played on Sunday against the Steelers. We'll get into that Sunday night. But uh, this game coming up, is the winner of the Super Bowl going to be coming from this game? Yeah, I know you got the Green Bay Packers over in the NFC. Yeah, I know you have the defending Super Bowl champions in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even though against Philadelphia, I'll get into that. They looked uh, pretty mediocre um, considering the level of of competition they still won the game won convincingly i'm not saying that but man you put their performance speaking about the tampa bay buccaneers you put their performance up against the buffalo bills man i'm telling you it seems like over the weekend that the afc the teams that won their playoff games in the afc were much more impressive i shouldn't say much more but were more impressive as a whole than the teams that won their games, their playoff games, in the NFC. I'll get to them later on in the podcast. So the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City football team, that's going to be the game of the weekend coming up. Again, it's going to be played at uh, Kansas City. Kansas City has their running game going. Kansas City is, uh, I think they found the, the answers to the to the questions on the test. I think they've come over, come out of their Super Bowl slumber and uh, they're rolling, and they're playing good football. So I, I do believe, you know, we don't know how we, we have to take a look to see exactly what Tennessee is going to bring to the table against the Bengals, and we're going to have to see how the Bengals respond to playing the number one seed in the uh, AFC. But outside of that, I think as far as not just the AFC championship, uh, uh, the AFC championship winner, but also the Super Bowl winner, I think the best chance is going to be this game between the Kansas City football team 
and the Buffalo Bills. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening, thinking of speaking about what is going on in these games and Sunday's games. As I mentioned before, Tampa Bay and Philadelphia, man. Uh, all right. Tampa Bay did what they needed to do. But did they look overwhelming? And I understand with the injuries, I understand some of the limitations that they have to look dominant. But they were they were good. They, 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 they were fine. They were proficient. They were efficient. They were professional in what they needed to do. Putting away a Philadelphia Eagles team that really didn't have the personnel to compete with them for 60 minutes, especially when you're speaking about some of the experienced players that they have and speaking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady, 29 to 37, 271 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, it was it was good. It was fine. He was good. He was fine. You know, this and the other. I take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles, though, and I'm taking a look at Jalen Hurts, and I'm taking a look at him struggle, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder wherever Deshaun Watson is. I wonder if he's watching this game saying, man, they are a Deshaun Watson acquisition away from the Philadelphia Eagles raising their level as a professional football team a couple of notches and being real contenders. Because I'm telling you, that defense, that defense played relatively well. But on offense, they just didn't have the consistency on offense. They just didn't have the quarterbacking on offense. They didn't have the consistent playmaking. Man, I thought that uh, Troy Aikman was going to uh, leave the booth, run down to the field, and start verbally assaulting and verbally going off on the offensive coordinator and Jalen Hurts for not giving the ball to Devonta Smith because it was kind of like, look how far off they're playing the guy. How is he not getting the ball? It was like a consistent theme with Troy Aikman. I, I like the fact that he was pointing it out and showing some emotion while doing it in terms of you, you almost saw the Troy Aikman wanting to play football or the football quarterback Troy Aikman inside of him come out, you know, being, un, being uh, uh, awoken from all these times because he's watching Devontae Smith go one-on-one, -on -one, the Buccaneers not using any zone or anything like that, and you see the quarterback playing so wide open, so uh, so far off of Devonta Smith, and you have Jalen Hurts going other places. You have him going to Goddard and all these other, you know, short digs and routes and passes, and Troy Aikman's losing his mind because it's like, my goodness gracious, you got Devonta Smith out there, and you're not giving him the football. Give him the doggone football, so... It's like with the Eagles, man. I'm thinking to myself, man, if they had, if they got themselves a quarterback. The Jalen Hurts experience, it's over. He's a nice quarterback. He's a good quarterback. I don't even know, though, he's a starting quarterback. He, he, he's a, he would be a solid backup quarterback. But in terms of being a franchise quarterback, if the Philadelphia Eagles want to go where they want to go, where their fanboy, fan base wants them to go, which is to the Super Bowl and beyond, they don't. Jalen Hurts is not that franchise quarterback. Jalen Hurts is not that starting quarterback. He's just not. But uh, good performance, though, by the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers moving forward, missing a lot of their guys as far as the wide receivers are concerned, but yet and still, they still found a way to make it work. Mike Evans had nine receptions for 117 yards. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, five catches for 39 yards. Evans caught himself a touchdown. Rodkowski got himself a touchdown. So, it was a game where you knew early on that the Buccaneers were going to be in complete control, led at one point 31 to nothing before a couple of window dressing passes made the final score 31-17. But as I mentioned before, the, the Bucs are moving on. 
They'll be uh, facing, who are, gonna, who are they going to be facing next, by the way, in the next round? I know they're not going to be facing the Green Bay Packers. They're going to be facing, because the San Francisco 49ers are going to be facing the Green Bay Packers. Oh, yes, the Buccaneers are going to be facing the Los Angeles Rams. I've got some thoughts and opinions about exactly what's happening with the Los Angeles, uh, with the um, Arizona Cardinals. I was talking to some folks. And I uh, threw this out there. I just ran it, ran it up the flagpole and see if anybody would salute in terms of what's the status now. And I've been mentioning this before when the Cardinals started their slide, which has been a consistent thing with Cliff Kingsbury being the head coach. Um, would you be surprised? Because there's always a shocker. There's always an aha moment outside of black coaches being fired when they're not really warranted. But um, would you be shocked? Would you be surprised if Cliff Kingsbury got fired after the performance the Arizona Cardinals had against the Los Angeles Rams. I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there before I get down to boogie a little bit, before I get down to recognize the Black National Anthem in terms of, um, I want you to think about that, really. Cliff Kingsbury still being the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And yes, you could talk about his record and all the reasons why he should retain his job, but... We, we've known that coaches have been fired for less. Coaches have been fired for more successful seasons than Cliff Kingsbury. Do you see him as a coach moving forward with this team to ultimately get to the Super Bowl? I don't know. I don't know. So good to start to the playoffs for the uh, first couple of games in the NFL. But then we had Pittsburgh and Kansas City. We had, again, the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals, and then we had the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> we had the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. Ooh, things in Dallas, Texas is getting rather juicy. I got something in my bones. Make me want to shout hallelujah. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you very much, Brother Ray. So glad that you could be with us, speaking about what's happening, what is going on in the world of sports, mainly speaking about the first segment of the podcast, the wild card game, speaking about the impressive victory by the Buffalo Bills over the New England Patriots, speaking about the Cincinnati Bengals getting their first victory in 31 years in the playoffs over the Las Vegas Raiders speaking about the professional outing that the Tampa Tom Buccaneers had over the goodness gracious we need ourselves a starting quarterback for real Philadelphia Eagles and also spoke a little bit about not just the Los Angeles Rams 34 to 11 victory over the Arizona Cardinals but taking a look at the direction where the Arizona Cardinals are going 
After starting the season 7-0, finishing the season 4-6, and petering again in terms of down the stretch, Kyler Murray, who I've been touting for the better part of two seasons, at one point during each season, the 2021 and 2020 season, in terms of him being an MVP candidate, he starts off very strongly. The first two months of the season this year, there was strong consideration that Kyler Murray's name should be talked about when speaking about who's the MVP of the league. The Cardinals were 7-0, and and one of the best teams was not the best team in the NFL at that time. But in, typic- in typical Arizona Cardinals fashion under Cliff Kingsbury, they faded near the end, and it was just indicative of the performance that they put on Monday night against the Los Angeles Rams. Murray was, what, 19-34 for 137 yards, two touchdowns, the one interception that he threw where he was trying to avoid the sacks, just threw it up there hoping for a miracle to be answered, hoping for a prayer to be answered. Well, it was answered. If you're a fan of the Los Angeles Rams, took that pass, went in for the touchdown, thank you very much, and that put the final nail in the coffin of what was hoping to be a competitive football game. No need to uh, watch that nonsense. I might as well go over to watch Raw and see what kind of dreck that they're putting down on the TV screen. What dreck and garbage of a wrestling program that Vinnie Mac is now scripted out for me to watch instead of this other train wreck, which was the competitiveness of the Los Angeles Rams versus the Arizona Cardinals. So it was one of those situations. And again, I, I point to the fact that go back to the fact, and I want to ask you running up the flagpole and see if you salute the idea, the notion that the Arizona Cardinals quite possibly should go into another direction in terms of their head coach. Because we speak about Cliff Kingsbury, I feel, was already in a situation where, look, you have this guy who wasn't even 500 as a college coach in a Big 12 conference in which he had Patrick Mahomes and he couldn't get it done. And he's bringing this gimmicky college offense to the point to where Josh Rosen was the number one pick, the number eight pick by the team the season before. And he's turned out to be a bust, but because of the direction and philosophy and style that Cliff Cliff Kingsbury brought to the table that he had to go ahead and get himself Kyler Murray because his style, Kology, fit the philosophy and fit the rhythms of what Cliff Kingsbury was putting down on offense. I I just feel like there's a certain section, I don't know, I don't know what section of these folks feel are decision makers in terms of, look, we're just waiting for Cliff Kingsbury to fail. We thought that when he was coming into the NFL that this would be a failure. He didn't reach our level of expectations of disastrous um, uh, of the dis- disastrous proportions, but it might be time for the Arizona Cardinals to move in another direction concerning their coach. And for the Los Angeles Rams, hey, it was very simple. We're going to mitigate the opportunities of Matthew Stafford to hurt us. And that worked out by, if you take a look at the passing numbers for Matthew Stafford, the man threw only 17 times, completed 13 of them for 202 yards, two touchdowns, very efficient, 154.5 passer rating, so very efficient. But, but it was the groundwork that the Rams had. When you take out the scrambles by Matthew Stafford, the fact that they ran the ball 32 times for 118 yards, the steady the steady rhythm or the steady notion that they were going to run the football, that they were going to try to establish the run, and that way take the ball out of the hands of Matthew Stafford to where he's throwing the ball all over the yard to where how many six picks, pick six has he had this season, like three or four, something like that. So 
the Rams establish that running game, and when that happens, hey, man, you know what? Odell Beckham Jr. had a really good game, caught the first touchdown pass of the game. He caught four passes for 54 yards. Cooper Cup still showing he's still the best wide receiver in the game, five catches for 61 yards and a touchdown pass, working very well. The relationship in terms of being on the field and the chemistry between Odell Beckham Jr. and Matthew Stafford continues to grow. I don't know, moving now on to play the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road. I don't know how much this means in terms of Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford playing for Detroit, and because of that, we're going to have to question whether he's ready for the playoffs. Matthew Stafford is a pro. Matthew Stafford has, Stafford has always been a good quarterback. Has always been a solid professional starting quarterback for his number of years in Detroit. Tough, that type of thing. Good leader, so... Playing against a team that melts down the stretch like the Arizona Cardinals. Don't know if that's really a good barometer to say, I told you so with Matthew Stafford. But going into a much bigger game with a much bigger contest and a much bigger stage against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we'll see what Matthew Stafford has. But if they can continue to to, uh, have this balance on offense, I don't know how much it can be attained when you're speaking about the run defense for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that Matthew Stafford's going to have to uh, sling it and make the good decisions. I don't think that they're going to be having the ratio balance that they had against the Arizona Cardinals and try to be successful because, as I mentioned before, of that uh, Tampa Bay run defense. But uh, looking for Matthew Stafford to uh, do some things, hopefully do a couple of special things to see what the Los Angeles Rams can do to move forward. Aaron Darnold played his strong game, had some... uh, had had some um, uh, had some news from Vaughn Miller in terms of what he did. Had a sack, first possession of the game for the defense of Los Angeles. He had six uh, six tackles. He played well. Jalen Ramsey was uh, had his, made his presence felt. So yeah, man, it was an all around good performance by the Los Angeles Rams. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening in the NFL wildcard this past weekend, the Kansas City football team and the Pittsburgh Steelers say bye-bye to the Hall of Fame career of Ben Roethlisberger, one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. But the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers went down, and they went down hard, 42-21. to Patrick Mahomes, as I mentioned before, after it was a bit of a slug, a bit of a slugfest, a bit of a sloppy, out-of-sync, out-of-rhythm type of game in the first quarter by Kansas City where they didn't score. And then, as I mentioned before, being under duress, fumbled, T.J. Watt picked it up, ran for a touchdown to make a 7 nothing, And you thought, hey, wait a second. And then Patrick Mahomes said, no, wait a second, this. And then he started doing Patrick Mahomes-type things, finished the game 30 of 39, 404 yards, five touchdown passes and one interception. Guy was great as usual. And it was, um, watching the football game, it was a shame because you take a look at the Pittsburgh Steelers on defense and you say to yourself, man, that team could win a Super Bowl the way they play defense. But they got nothing, nothing out of their offense. And while, you know, Roethlisberger, he is what he is now. Get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible and don't throw it down the field. He was 29 of 44 for 215 yards and two meaningless touchdown passes. But, uh, man, the drop passes by his receivers. It was close. If you were watching this game, once the 
Kansas City football team got it rolling. And you saw how inept that Pittsburgh was on offense. You started thinking to yourself, man, is Ben Roethlisberger, is Big Ben going to go out the same way that um, Jimmy Johnson and Dan Marino went out in their last games in the NFL when they were obliterated by the Jacksonville Jaguars? And you saw how poorly of a game that Marino had, especially in the first half in the uh, first quarter and Jimmy Johnson had that look on his face like, my goodness gracious, can this, this this time cannot go by fast enough for me to get the hell out of here and no longer be the coach of this Miami Dolphins football team. It was looking that way in terms of just, man, let's just hurry up and let this game be over, man. Go ahead, Kansas City, do what you need to do and just put it away and let that clock run. I, I just wish, I just wish that we could have a running clock in a situation like this so... We wouldn't have to see Roethlisberger go out there and do what he was doing. But the defense for Kansas City, stout, held the running game in check for uh, Pittsburgh. Well, you're speaking about 20 carries for 56 yards. That's what the Steelers had. Well, it's only less than three yards per carry. The um, Kansas City football team themselves ran 22 times for 106 yards. Jerick McKinnon, 61 yards on 12 carries. So, it was a reminder that Kansas City is here, that Kansas City's for real, and that sets up that game, that Titanic game, this upcoming weekend between themselves, the Kansas City football team, and the Buffalo Bills. But, uh, yeah, it was, as I mentioned before, it seemed like that fumble and score by T.J. Watt was like the slap in the face that Kansas City needed to uh, get the job done. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, saving the best for last. Of course, you know we got to move to the Dallas Cowboys. Their season is over. O-V-E-R, over. 23-17 loss to the San Francisco 49ers, who, as I mentioned before, man, if anybody's going to shake up the apple cart, it's going to be the San Francisco 49ers in terms of which team in the AFC and the NFC is going to be surprising some folks. I think the winner of the Kansas City... Buffalo game is going to move on to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. In the NFC, I have no idea in terms of what's going to be happening because we haven't seen Green Bay. They've been off for a week, how they're going to be performing against the 49ers. And as I mentioned before, how much can we gauge in terms of the excellence that was put on by the Los Angeles Rams in their game against the Arizona Cardinals and the how and, and, and the good solid performance that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had over the Philadelphia Eagles man of all the teams in the NFC that looked upset ready in terms of shocking the world it was the uh, San Francisco 49ers 23-17 victory as I mentioned before over the Dallas Cowboys Jimmy Garoppolo gave you the full deal in terms of uh, what makes him on one possession say hey you know what the San Francisco 49ers, they could, they could win a Super Bowl with this guy. And then on the next possession, have you say, you know what? The only reason why the San Francisco 49ers aren't going to win a Super Bowl is because of Jimmy Garoppolo. On one hand, he looks like a franchise quarterback. And on the other hand, he looks like Carson Wentz. So we, we don't know what we're going to be getting uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. But we do know... Now, we're going to get some strong coaching. Man, is there anything more beautiful in the NFL when you're watching a game in the offensive coordinator and such? You know, if Turner, when he was coaching 
the Washington football team, man, he would get on some of these runs when he was in the zone calling plays. And it was just like, man, well, that's working, and 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 that's brilliant, and that's awesome, and that's wonderful. Of course, he didn't do that enough. But when he started rolling early on in his coaching career with Washington, it was something to see. It's the same thing with Kyle Shanahan, man. Now, you could you, you could you could talk about Kyle Shanahan and his overall record not being great, and there's an argument to be made there, of course. And outside of one year, he's been a below 500 coach. You can you can do all those type of things, but just in terms of play calling just in terms of schemes, just in terms of attacking a weakness, just in terms of creativity, just in terms of calling a really good play at the opportune time, at the utmost time. Cal Shanahan is something else, man. That guy really is something else. 169 yards rushing on 38 carries. As far as the rushing game is concerned, Debo Samuel had 72 yards on 10 carries. Y'all call him Debo. I'm going to call him Debo. Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries for 96 yards. And as I mentioned before, an all-around great game. The defense played well. And what about the Dallas Cowboys? What about the Dallas Cowboys? Started off slowly. Really, the game could have been a lot farther in terms of the score indicated because San Francisco settling for so many field goal opportunities. But but this, this was a situation where it was pretty clear early on that the San Francisco 49ers weren't just as good as the Dallas Cowboys. They were better than the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott, 23 of 43, 254 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I don't know if we're going to bring it up. You take a look at the running game, 77 yards, 21 carries. But look, there's a lot of blame to go around. The offensive line played poorly. The defense made ridiculous plays in terms of mental errors. If you take a look at all the penalties that the Cowboys had in this game, some of the crucial penalties that they had in this game, when you're speaking about the Cowboys having 14 penalties, all of those things, the play calling at the end of the game. I mean, Kellen Moore, you still want to be a head coach? Kellen Moore, you still deserve to be a head coach? Kellen Moore, you're still the bee's knees in terms of being a head coach? after some of the plays that you called Mike McCarthy, some of the plays and some of the calls that he made, not going forward on fourth down, being the anti-Brandon Staley of the uh, head coach of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. He was the antithesis in terms of going forward, Mike McCarthy, even though it was interesting because the second time, I believe it was in early on in the fourth quarter where the Cowboys had the ball near midfield and they were going ahead and getting in punt formation and everybody was like, all right, this is going to be a fake. This is going to be a fake. And the 49ers had their defense situated that way. Everybody knew it was a fake except one guy. <laughs> he just took off down the field like it was a regular punt play. And on the right side of the field, the wide receiver was like, oh, okay, you're going to do that? Thanks, fellas. Wide open here. And it was just interesting because I don't know exactly what was going on in terms of they got the first down on momentum and the crowd's back into the game and the 49ers are like, well, we have our base defense already on the field, so there's no need for mass substitutions. And here comes the kicker for the Cowboys on the field and then he runs off the field and then there's players running on the field for Dallas and they run off the field and it's 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 complete keystone cops and chaos and Dallas has to, uh, I don't know if they took a timeout or a delay a game or something, but it was just something where it was like, wait a minute, guys, what? 
what exactly are we doing here? What exactly, what in the wide world of sports is going on here with this? So look, all of these things point to Mike McCarthy. I'm not going to say that uh, Mike McCarthy is a horrible coach and whether he, whether he's be fired or not, this game was just a microcosm of what he is as a coach. You're going to fire him. You want to bring in uh, somebody else. I don't know, maybe a Eric Bieniemy, maybe a Brian Flores, maybe a Raheem Morris, maybe somebody else. I'm not going to uh, disagree with that. This season proved that um, his job should be under scrutiny. His job security should be under scrutiny. But it was just a bad all-around look all season for the Dallas Cowboys, who started off like gangbusters. The defense improved immensely. I mean, you have in Gus Bradley, and or you have in uh, Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore, two coordinators who are going to be getting serious looks for head coaching jobs. You have the best young defensive player that's been around in a while in Micah Parsons. You have an offense that was supposed to be at one time in this season, I said to myself, we're one of the most talented, if you take a look at the skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver and such, the way that they faltered down the stretch, the way that they were so inconsistent down the stretch, the Cowboys beat the bad teams, lost to the good teams, it was a, it was a weird season, it was an underwhelming season, it was a season that you take a look at it while it was going on. You, you didn't see some of the weaknesses. You didn't see some of the yeah buts. You didn't see some of the concerns really because of some of the games that they played and because they were so successful. But just later on down the season, the offense just bogged down and came to a stop. The defense really didn't perform to the level that they were playing at uh, throughout the season early on and midway through. It was just a weird, strange season for the Dallas Cowboys. Where did you go from here? If you're Dak Prescott... And you're supposed to be one of the elite quarterbacks or one of the best quarterbacks or one of the top five or six quarterbacks or not five or six. But if you're Dak Prescott, who at one time I thought was in the running for not just comeback player of the year, but also the MVP. If you're at that level and you're making the money that you're going to be making, you got to do better than this. You have to do better than what you did down the stretch. And you can't use, well, I had a calf injury, and that's the reason why. Hell, Aaron Rodgers has had a myriad of injuries. He has a toe injury. That doesn't stop him. And you might be saying, well, that's unfair. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league. Yeah, but guess what? Aaron Rodgers is making the same amount of money or around the same amount of money as Dak Prescott. If you're going to be paid like an elite quarterback, then sorry, you have to perform on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, like an elite quarterback. And this year, Dak Prescott did not do it. I'm sorry that during the uh, season that you had injuries to your offensive line and and uh, C.D. Lamb was out for a couple of games with a concussion and Amari Cooper was in COVID protocol and all those type of things. That's the reason why, though, that Dak Prescott is being paid the money because the money is supposed to be commensurate with his ability to overcome all the all of those things like the elite quarterbacks who are making over $40 million can do. So I'm not saying that they should trade Prescott or any nonsense like that, but, I mean, you know, blame has to go all around. I know it's all going to be centered on Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy, but, uh, you know, Dak's a great leader. He's a great representation or a great representative of what the National Football League is all about, what they're trying to portray, what the National Football League is all about. And I think he does a wonderful job. I think he's a great leader and a good person from the outside looking in, but, Hey, man, call it the way it is. This was a disappointing season overall for Dak Prescott. Yes, he came back from a devastating injury to have the season that he had. But again, if you're going to be paid 
like an elite quarterback, no excuses. You have to perform like an elite quarterback. Dak Prescott did a good job this season. He wasn't a bum, but for the money that he was being paid, no, he did not. Uh, he did not live up to expectations. Now, with a full year back from the injury, moving forward, we'll see what happens, and we see what happens with the Dallas Cowboys. But the San Francisco 49ers. Moving on to take on the Green Bay Packers up in Lambeau Field. It should be an interesting game. The weather should not be that much of a hindrance or a problem for San Francisco being from the West Coast because of their running game, because of their physicality, because of the physicality they have, especially with the running game, the fullback, and the defensive line. So whether the temperature is 2 degrees or 32 degrees, it really shouldn't make that much of a difference. So... It's going to be an interesting weekend coming up. Interesting to watch it. Interesting to talk about it. Interesting to uh, sit back and review it. But uh, there's some stuff in the NBA that I want to get to now. That's some good stuff on the NFL. But uh, these Brooklyn Nets, they got me scratching my head. And this guy was Kyrie Irving talking about in a little bit way, shape, or form, just shut up and dribble. And Kyrie's response Bravo, Mr. Irving. Bravo. I'll be able to talk about that next. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. You know what we should do? I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what kind of uh, situation that you're in. As far as lifting this community, as far as lifting your spirits in terms of improving the community, the region, the state, the county that you live in, as far as goodness is concerned, we need to lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmony of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise, hide the listing skies. Let it resound till victory is won. The Black National Anthem, if you would, please. Thank you. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel where I just did my NBA breakdown in terms of, uh, well, let me, let me give you a little something here on my audio here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast of what I did on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports, speaking about what happening, what is happening in the NBA. You have to take a look at the current NBA standings nearing the halfway mark or at the halfway mark in the Eastern Conference. The top seven teams are the Chicago Bulls with a record of 27 and 14. As of this recording on a Tuesday afternoon, the number two seed, the Brooklyn Nets, 27 and 15. Miami Heat, 27 and 16. The Milwaukee Bucks, 27 and 18. The Philadelphia 76ers, 25 and 17. Number six, the surprising 
Cleveland Cavaliers, 26-18 and 18 outside of the playoffs, playing in the play-in game. The number seven Charlotte Hornets, 23-20. and 20. The Toronto Raptors, the surprising Toronto Raptors, 21-19. and 19. My Washington Wizards, 22-21. and 21. The New York Knicks, 22-22. and 22. The Boston Celtics, 22-22. And, and rounding out the bottom of the conference, the Atlanta Hawks, 18-25. and 25. Good win yesterday. Over the Milwaukee Bucks, the Indiana Pacers are at 15 and 28. The last two remaining teams of the Eastern Conference sitting at the bottom are the Detroit Pistons at 10 and 32 and the Orlando Magic at 8 and 36. So if you take a look, the most intriguing team, I think, of course, with everything swirling around, is the Brooklyn Nets. As you speak about what's happening in the Eastern Conference, the loss of Kevin Durant for four to six weeks, according to ESPN, the Nets diagnosed Durant with a sprained MCL on his left knee. The franchise expects a four to six week rehabilitation before his return. Durant underwent imaging on Sunday morning after Saturday night's injury. The realistic benchmark for Durant to return would be the All-Star break, which is February 18th to the 23rd. That's what sources said. So the organization, of course, is going to side on the air of caution when bringing Kevin Durant back. As I've always marveled at KD, man, because you were thinking about the last time that he had a serious injury, and this is not a quote-unquote serious injury, but every time it seems like Kevin Durant gets injured, when he comes back, it just he just picks up right where he left off. There is no rust. There is no getting his game shaped. There is no getting his legs back and everything like that. He just goes, man. He just gets out there, and he just balls, and he just automatically just gets back to being one of the best players in the game. As you remember, as of the injury when it happened this past weekend, he was the front runner for the uh, MVP with the collapse a little bit of Steph Curry from where he was the first couple of months of the uh, season to where he is now. When you speak a look at Jokic while having an absolutely tremendous season, the fact that the Nuggets are hovering around somewhere around 200, Giannis being the two-time MVP because he is the two-time MVP and now the NBA champion, the narrative for him to win another MVP is not really as strong as it was when he won the first two MVPs. Joel Embiid had been playing great basketball, but the Philadelphia 76ers are mired somewhere in fifth or sixth place. So everything at the time of the injury, before the injury, was set for Kevin Durant as of right now to be the front runner for the MVP. Now with this four to six week absence that he's going to have because of the injury, now he puts his MVP stature status in jeopardy, even though I don't think KD is walking the streets of Brooklyn at night visiting the mural of Big L over on 125th Street and in, in, in Lenox Avenue and thinking about life because of his diminished chances of winning the MVP because of this injury. And still, when he comes back, if he's going to be coming back before March, you never know what type of run he's going to have to uh, get the MVP, especially when we're speaking about guys missing games because of COVID. So not out of the question just yet. So, you know, KD can relax and worry about other things in terms of uh, winning basketball games and such. But, 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 all of this stuff swirling around with Kyrie Irving, did you see this report about James Harden might be on the move again? This is from ESPN insider Mark Stein, Mark Stein, via Adam Herman of NBC Sports in Philadelphia. He said a move for Harden may not be out of the question for the Philadelphia 76ers because there is enough noise circulating league-wide about Harden's reported openness to relocation 
this summer. Harden has a $47.4 million player option for the 2022-2023 season. He could opt out in Brooklyn for next season. It seems more likely the nine-time All-Star would prefer to collect a bigger long-term payout since his earning power might be at its apex as of right now, 32 years old. And I also think the fact that, man, you know, when you when, here's the conundrum for James Harden. If he goes ahead and he says, you know what, I want a bigger payday, there's teams that will be able to give him maybe the payday in terms of the amount of money and the years that he might be looking at, but is, is this going to be giving him an opportunity to win championships? One of the reasons why he wanted out of Houston and wanted to go to either Philadelphia or Brooklyn was because of the opportunity for him to play in championships, for him to win an NBA championship. With everything that James Harden has done throughout his career, winning MVPs, winning Olympic gold medals, winning sixth man of the year, being regarded as one of the best one-on-one basketball players or offensive basketball players, not just in his generation, but in all time. Everything that he's accomplished individually, the only thing that is stopping him right now from either, from even greater greatness is winning a championship. There's, there's nothing else that James Harden can do. He's won scoring championships. He's won MVPs. He's been All-NBA numerous times. He's done all these things. Now, the only thing that's left for him to do, besides win All-Defensive player, which we know that ain't going to be happening, the most realistic chance, chance that he has to enhance his legacy now it's for him to win a championship. And that would be the greatest thing for him to enhance his legacy, just to win a championship. And when you speak about that, and when you think about that, and when you discuss that in terms of who are the greatest basketball players of all time, I mean, hell, even when we're speaking about athletes in other sports, and we're trying to decipher who's better and who deserves to be number one and number five and number 10 and number 15, who deserves to be one, two, three, four, or five, we always go to in terms of championships, correct? Why isn't Dan Marino regarded as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time without question? Because he never won a championship. What makes guys like Elgin Baylor, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, and these other guys, George Gervin and such, what is stopping them from being higher on the list? Despite all of their brilliant individual accolades, winning championships. And sometimes, even if you win championships, even for some people, that's not even enough to really validate how great they are. Hence the argument about LeBron James and Michael Jordan, right? It's almost a situation when, of course, we all know that the discussion and the opinion about who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, always take a caricature or always goes to nonsensical terms when you're looking at those who just think LeBron could walk on water and do no wrong. I'm just speaking about those who are the Jordanaires, who the Jordan sheep, who just believe that everything he does is the greatest of all time. Or if you're speaking about the LeBron haters where there's nothing that he could ever do that would make him better than Michael Jordan. That's mainly coming from the Jordan ship, Jordan sheep who just revere and just bow down to every little thing that he did. But what's the main thing that separates? What's the main thing that the folks who argue for Michael Jordan, what's the main thing that they argue when you're speaking about, well, this is the reason why LeBron is trash and MJ is the greatest of all time? 6-0, 6-0, 6-0, 6-0 and 4-6. and I mean, let's not... I mean, let's kind of just brush brush aside the fact that half of LeBron's NBA career, the seasons that he's played in the NBA, he's finished either winning a championship or playing in the finals. 
let's kind of forget the fact that Jordan played, what, 17 years or something like that and made six NBA finals. Awesome, fantastic, wonderful. Six championships in 10 years after being um, thwarted, winning a championship in his first seven years. So the fact that he went on a run and uh, did two three-peats, awesome, fantastic, unbelievable. Did it with the same team. Austin, awesome, fantastic, unbelievable. Shit, if you ask Scottie Pippen, he'd probably tell you that big fucking deal. I was better than Jordan. I was the one who carried the Chicago Bulls to those six championships. Not Michael Jordan, right? 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 I digress. So we're always speaking about when we're trying to measure the greatness of a player, especially when we're trying to put that player or measure his greatness against another great player. It always comes down to championships. So for the James Harden lovers, for those when everything is all said and done, want to try to see where James James, uh, Harden lines up when his career is all said and done in terms of the greatest shooting guards of all time, the greatest backcourt players of all time, the greatest players of all time, the greatest players of his generation, all this type of stuff. I mean, we can speak about the scoring titles. We can speak about the All-NBA selections. We can speak about the All-Stars. We can speak about the MVPs. We can speak about the fact that as a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder, as a six-man in which he won six-man of the year, we, I, I think he won six-man of the year. Well, we can add into the mixture of why James Harden is one of the greatest of all time is the fact that as the six-man of the year early on in his career with the Oklahoma City Thunder, that that team with Kevin Durant, a young Kevin Durant, and a young Russell Westbrook made it to the NBA Finals. We can put all of those things down. But if you're going to try to compare him to Steph Curry, or if you're going to try to compare him to the other great guards of his generation, what's going to be the what's going to be the great difference in terms of why this player is better than James Harden or why James Harden is better than this player if the accomplishments, individual accomplishments, are all the same? It's going to come down to championships. And right now, James Harden doesn't have any. So for all of this talk and for all of this discussion and for all of this rumor and for all of this innuendo – about James Harden wanting to leave somewhere else. I mean, I don't know his agent, his, his friends, his mother. Somebody needs to get a hold of him and say, James, you know if you leave this situation, unless with the possibility you're going through the Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't know how much more money Philadelphia can pay you than staying with the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know how great your chances could be with the Philadelphia 76ers playing with Joel Embiid than it could, than it could be playing with uh, Kevin Durant and a flaky but unique individual like Kyrie Irving. I don't know what your chances would be, but sometimes, young man, the gr- grass isn't greener on the other side. So James Harden, the thought is he might entertain it. And, and look, when, when he says that he's open to relocation, that doesn't mean that he's going. That doesn't mean that he's going to do a Houston and say, trade me and until you do, I'm going to be running around going to birthday parties in Vegas one night and then going over and going to a strip joint in Atlanta the other night. No one is saying that in concrete that this report says that he wants out of Brooklyn. He's trying to leave Brooklyn. He doesn't like Brooklyn. He's definitely leaving from Brooklyn. He just says that, you know what, I'm going to keep my options open. And maybe after when everything is all said and done, he takes a look around and he talks to Steve Nash and he talks to Sean Marks and he talks to Kevin Durant and he talks to Kyrie Irving and he talks to Joel Embiid and he might, and his agent might talk to Daryl Morey and it agent or um, Harden might talk to Doc Rivers when everything is all said and done. Maybe he decides that, you know what, Brooklyn is the place for me. I think moving forward that Brooklyn 
should be the place for him. But I'm not James Harden. He needs to make that decision on his own. Being a grown man, I'm quite sure he has the ability to do so. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in the NBA. So with the Brooklyn Nets moving forward, look, we can speak about the um, we can speak about the Chicago Bulls. And are they this season's Phoenix Suns? In the Western Conference, it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Are they this season's Phoenix Suns in terms of a team that really was not on the radar? When you're speaking about the preseason and, team, and teams who could win the championship, teams who could play for the championships, not too many people put the Chicago Bulls and the Memphis Grizzlies as one of the leading contenders or in that category to do so. You had the Milwaukee Bucks after the acquisition of Kyrie, uh, uh, Kyle Lowry. You had the Miami Heat. You, you had the Brooklyn Nets, of course, in the, in the Western Conference. Foolishly, some folks, after the acquisition of Russell Westbrook, had the Los Angeles Lakers right there along with such teams as the Golden State Warriors and the Utah Jazz and the um, Phoenix Suns and such, but nobody had the Memphis Grizzlies. Nobody had the Chicago Bulls. Just like a year before going into the season, nobody had the Phoenix Suns until they shocked the world with the acquisition of Chris Paul leading them, the emergence of Devin Booker as a Robin to Chris Paul's Batman, and the emergence of a true big man in DeAndre Ayton along with really key role players to go along with that uh, trio. It elevated the Phoenix Suns. You can speak about the Lakers uh, being injured in the playoffs. You can speak about the Nuggets losing Jamal Murray and being injured in the playoffs. You can speak about the Los Angeles Clippers not having Kawhi Leonard. You could do all of those type of things and try to asterisk the Phoenix Suns into making it to the Western, to making it to the NBA Finals. But, you know, guess what? This season, who's number one in the standings? Thank you. Last time I checked that it was the Phoenix Suns. So the Memphis Grizzlies and the Chicago Bulls are this season's, shall we say, so far this season, are this season's um, Memphis Grizzlies. So for the Eastern Conference, man, one of the things that was interesting to see and interesting to gauge going into the game was the uh, game about a week and a half ago, you think, between the... um, between the Chicago Bulls and the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn going up to uh, the Windy City and playing the, the uh, Chicago Bulls, where they put the beat down on them in an impressive fashion, 138-112, coming into that game against Chicago. Losers of uh, five or seven games. Brooklyn going ahead, now scoring Chicago 39-19 in the uh, third quarter to uh, put the game away. Kevin Durant scoring 27 points, 17 in the third quarter. James Harden adding 25 points. Season high, 16 assists, along with Five three-point shots. Kyrie played 25 minutes, went four for 10 from the field. No free throws, attempts, no uh, three assists. It was a great game. The X Factor, Patty Mills, came off the bench to score 21 points, nailed six of eight shooting from behind the arc. From behind the arc. It was the best game of the season for the, for the Brooklyn Nets. They came into that game with a 4-9 record against teams with a 500 record or better. They went... Into that game against Chicago with an 0-8 record against the top four teams in the Eastern and Western Conference. They were blown out, if you remember, they were blown out at home by Golden State and the Phoenix Suns. So this was a game where Chicago, not only did they have something to prove, but it was also for Brooklyn a situation where I think they had something to prove. And good Lord, they did so. Good Lord, they did so. So since that game, the KD injury happened. 
KD sat out a game. I guess it was the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. So situation like that happened where Brooklyn lost, but big flipping deal. They didn't have Kyrie. They didn't have KD. I don't even think James Harden played that game. So, But if he did, you're missing one of the three. So took that night off, mailed it in, lost that game. But KD gets himself injured. And now in the first game since Durant went down, they lost to uh, Cleveland 114 to 107 yesterday or Monday night. Kyrie had his best game of the season since his return, scoring 27 points, 12 of 23 shooting, 3 of 6 from the three-point line, 9 assists, 7 rebounds, had a plus 14, plus minus in in, uh, 38 minutes. Jane Harden had 22 points, 5 of 12 shooting, but 10 of 15 from the free throw line. Oh, if he could just make a couple of more free throws. The The Nets missed five straight shots down the stretch. We're still in it with 110-107, but uh, couldn't do anything. A turnover by Harden led to a breakaway dunk. Ball game, thanks for coming. Everybody dancing, shouting, Cleveland, Ohio. Darius Garland strengthened his all-star case with 22 points, 12 assists. And then this is where things got really interesting. After the game, I think this was kind of blown out of the proportion. When I saw the headlines, I was like, Kyrie Irving is getting into a shouting match or a reporter is getting into a shouting match with uh, somebody. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a shouting match. It was a mature uh, adult back and forth, an explanation from Kyrie when he was asked by ESPN's Nick Friedel, who does an excellent job. I enjoy listening to him when he uh, is on the uh, Brian Windhorst uh, podcast. He does a great job when he when he's uh, asked to uh, go ahead and give the thoughts and opinions about the um, about the NBA. But him and Kyrie had an exchange after the game about Irving not getting vac- vaccinated. It uh, went something like this. I feel any more pressure to change your stance because Kevin's going to be out potentially for a couple months and the team needs you. See, that's, that's what I feel like uh, ends up coming into uh, – a lot of this culture of basketball and, and sports and entertainment is you bring in the team and you bring in situations that we're in and Kev, Kev's going to heal. Kev's going to be okay, you know, and we're going to have to deal with that as his teammates. But in terms of where I am with my life outside of this, I, I stay rooted in, in my decision, and that's just what it is. Do you think there's anything to sway your decision? What do you mean? To get this job. Why, why you keep asking me that? Because that's what everybody wants to know. Who's everybody? Uh, there are millions of basketball fans out there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, who want to know if you're going to take the I'll, I'll ask you. to play at home. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Basketball fans. But they're like they're people. they're Forget basketball fans. They're millions yeah, but this is like that's what I'm saying. You're bringing like my vaccination status into a basketball game, and it's like I live my life majority of the time when I'm away from this. So when I say I'm not getting vaccinated and I'm making a choice with my life, somehow it gets like mixed into, well, what about some basketball stuff? It's like, no, bro. Like we live in a real world. This is, this is great to be able to do this. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I love being with my teammates. I love playing on the Nets, but I've already been away enough time to think about this, to process it, to be able to make this decision, stand strong understand that people are going to agree and some people are going to disagree. The circumstances that are at hand, I'm praying that they get changed and we're able to do things differently. And that's not just for me. That's for all those that are dealing with unvaccinated, being unvaccinated and getting fired from work on a day-to-day basis. It's not just about me. That's what I, that's my, been my message this whole time. So though I feel your, 
you're feeling an emotion asking that question it's just like sometimes it gets it feels a little disrespectful like i'm not just a basketball player bro i'm not millions of fans i, I appreciate all of it but it's not just about the game so that was the exchange would he consider changing his stance and not getting vaccinated since KD is going to be out for a few months? And Irving said that despite what has happened, Kevin Durant is going to come back. He's going to be fine. But uh, this time away and his decision that he's made and some time to genuflect and to think about it has only strengthened his decision not to uh, get vaccinated. Then Fridell asked, is there anything that would sway your decision on getting vaccinated? Now, I know people... I know people, you know, the, the, the earth is really flat and all this kind of stuff. I know there's, I know for some people, Kyrie is an easy target and anything that comes out of his mouth that you're going to attack and you can see then you can maybe call him goofy and you can call him weird and you can call him strange or you can call him an egomaniac or you can call him a diva or you can do all of these things, self-centered, all of these type of things. You can, you can do all of those type of things, but this is where... I don't agree with Kyrie with everything, but here's where I agree with him. When Fridell asked was there anything that would sway your decision on getting vaccinated? And he was like, well, you know, I, I'm not getting vaccinated. I asked you that before, so you follow up with the question on is there anything that you can do, which, Fidel, that's good, that's, you know, that's journalism 101. I mean, that's, of course, you ask the follow-up question, and what his answer was led to that follow-up question. So the, the follow-up question wasn't wrong, but I could see where Kyrie was like, hey, man, you know, I gave you my decision. No, there's nothing that could sway me as of right now for me to change my opinion, i.e., if James Harden getting injured, Bruce Brown getting injured, Blake Griffin retiring, LaMarcus Aldridge retiring, Patty Mills going down, the Nets losing ground and falling behind the uh, Philadelphia 76ers or the or or somebody else, or our playoff chances are in jeopardy, or that there's nothing as far as basketball-related is concerned that's going to make me change my opinion or change my mind on not getting vaccinated. So that's kind of like where he was going at. And when Fidel was like, well, well, you know, everybody wants to know. Uh, excellent retort by, uh, or response by Kyrie. Who's everybody? Everybody wants to know. Well, exactly. Who, who's everybody? Because the people that I'm around, the people that I care about, the people who I respect, the people who know me, they're backing my decision. So I don't know who's everybody. and every that, That's a lot of people for everybody. You mean everybody, everybody? <laughs> You've asked everybody if I should get vaccinated and everybody has said yes? So, yes, I understand. What does everybody mean? And Fidel said that there's millions of basketball fans and people who want him who want to know. Well, that's none of their goddamn business. <laughs> The millions upon millions of basketball fans and just regular people in general who want to know if there's anything that would sway Kyrie Irving's decision to get vaccinated, that's none of their fucking business. And who cares? Why do you care if Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated or not? Are you writing the checks for Kyrie Irving? Do you have your house payment, your mortgage payment, or the welfare of your kids riding on the amount of games that Kyrie Irving plays or the amount of points that Kyrie Irving plays or the over and under in terms of wins for the Brooklyn Nets? If you do, that's your fucking stupid uh, stupidity to do something like that. Kyrie Irving doesn't owe me. He doesn't owe you. He doesn't owe the millions of people who want to see him play basketball. He doesn't owe the millions of people, according to Fidel, who don't even watch basketball but are just interested or are just wanting to know. If Kyrie Irving is going to be vaccinated or not, it's none of their goddamn business. 
Don't worry about it. Worry about what you're doing. How about that? Worry about what's going on in your life 24 hours a day. Worry about the people who are important to you. Worry about your husband. Worry about your kids. Worry about your brother. Worry about your parents. Worry about your grandparents. Worry about your best friend. Worry about your wife. Worry about those people. Don't, don't be concerned and don't be fretting and don't be consumed about whether Kyrie Irving is getting vaccinated or not because to me, if he does, great. I would love to see Kyrie Irving play basketball again. He's a tremendous basketball player. Guy's a basketball genius. Why would I want to watch him play basketball? He provides me great entertainment when I get the opportunity to watch the Brooklyn Nets. Him along with James Harden and Kevin Durant, uh, that trio, man, they're fabulous, awesome basketball players, great entertainment. But whether Kyrie Irving plays or not, that doesn't mean in terms of the importance of my life. I'm not going to get kicked out of my house. I'm not going to get evicted from my house if Kyrie Irving doesn't get vaccinated. I'm not going to lose my job if Kyrie Irving doesn't get vaccinated. I'm not going to have food taken off my table if Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated. So why do I give a damn if Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated or not? And I think it was a situation where it was one of those going towards just shut up and dribble type of questions or type of response when Fidel said millions of people want to know or millions of people are just wanting and dying and frothing at the mouth to know if Kyrie Irving is going to have any situation come his way to where he's going to get himself vaccinated. Kyrie Irving said, look, man, I'm not a basketball player. It's what I do. It's not who I am. And this is bigger than basketball. My decision is, is much bigger than whether I play basketball so the Brooklyn Nets can win a certain amount of games or can do this or do that. It's, it's a game of basketball, man. It's nothing more than a game of basketball. And for me and for you and for the people who cover it and for the people who watch it, it's pure entertainment. For some, it's a little bit more. Nick Friedel, it's his job. It's his, ability, it's his uh, uh, occupation to put a roof over his head and put food on the table and, and and all those type of things. But if Kyrie Irving doesn't play basketball, Nick Friedel is still going to have a job. If Kyrie Irving doesn't play basketball, Nick Friedel is not going to get a pay cut. He's not going to get laid off. His employment status is not uh, tied to whether Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated or not and is able to play basketball games. Nick Fidel's job is not tied upon how many games the Brooklyn Nets win or how many games that Kyrie Irving plays or how many home games that Kyrie Irving plays or when Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated. So I understand the question in terms of, hey, just out of curiosity, is there anything that can uh, sway your decision not to get vaccinated? No. Well, but, 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 but millions of people are. I mean, so when you come at Kyrie like that, it's almost like you're taking a shot at his character. It's like, well, you know, the team needs you. All you need to do is get vaccinated. You're letting your teammates down. You're letting your coach down. You're letting your season ticket uh, holders down. You're letting the advertisers down. You're letting the owner who pays your paycheck down. You're letting your coaches down. You're letting the city of Brooklyn down. You're letting the city or the basketball fans of the Brooklyn Nets down. So you're letting all of these people down because of your decision not to get vaccinated. So even with the dire straits of Kevin Durant, the MVP of the league being out, so you're still, that's still not enough for you to quote unquote do the right thing, according to Nick Friedel and the millions upon millions of people who want to see him play basketball. So basically, 
you're letting those people down. You're letting those, you know, the same people, the same millions upon millions of people where a small minority of folks want to throw garbage and throw objects at the players that they're leaving the arena at the end of the game at halftime or something like that. So you're, you're letting those jackasses down and you're letting down the, uh, your, your, your teammates more importantly and the fans and the season ticket holders and the owners and the sponsorships and the advertisers. So really what you're saying to me, Kyrie is you're a bad guy. You're selfish. You're immature. You're not looking out for the best of others. You're, you're being selfish. You're being narcissistic. You're being egotistical. I know all those things kind of like are basically the same, but in certain levels, is a narcissist bigger than an egomaniac? I mean, it's bad if you're an egomaniac, but if you're really an egomaniac, that means you graduate to nar- narcissistic status, correct? Psychopathic status where you only give a damn about yourself. So... Basically, what Kyrie was hearing, I think, was, man, what you're trying to say, Fidel, is that you're trying to take a shot at my character and who I am as a man and a human being because I'm not doing what you want me and millions upon millions of people want me to do, which is to get vaccinated. He said, look, I'm going to take the consequences of what happened head on in terms of me not getting vaccinated. I understand that. I understand the decision. I understand that people might not agree with this decision. I, I got that. I understand that. But, but just like me. And just like you, and just like your wife, and just like your husband, and just like your girlfriend, and just like your boyfriend, and just like your cousin, and just like your aunts and your uncles and your buddies and everything else, I'm not going to uh, have millions upon millions of people who I don't know. I'm not going to let people who I have no idea who they are, never been in contact with, don't know what their thoughts and opinions are, this, that, and the other. I'm not going to let those people sway what I feel is right. Neither are you. And neither are the people that you know. Now, your best friends are people who know you closely and know who you are and have an intimate uh, knowledge of who you are and that type of thing. You might listen to them or you're, you, you might have more value in terms of what they think about you than somebody else. If, if uh, I mean, for instance, if the donut shot down the, uh, donut shot down the street, which I enjoy going to because the donuts there are great, if for some reason they decide to pack up and move, and I go in there one day and they say, "Wendell, this is it, man. I'm going to be going over to. Uh, I'm going to be going back over to. Uh, I don't know. I'm originally from St. George, Utah, so I'm going to go back up to St. George, and I'm going to uh, start a pizza parlor because you know Vegas is just." Just had, I've had it with Vegas and blah blah blah, and I want to move, and I'm originally from that area, so it's time for me to go. I could sit there and be like, "Well, don't you understand?" You're being selfish. What am I going to do now that I don't have donuts? And every morning when I come to get my donuts, there's a line all around the block. All of those people every single day. I've, I've become friends with some of those people when I'm waiting in line to get your wonderful donuts. This has been a part of a, this has been the fabric of my life. I can't go to work in proper as a normal human being without my donuts. Without John Smith donuts. You guys are fantastic. You guys are awesome. I can't live without your donuts. And what you're doing is selfish. What about, the, what about the thousands upon thousands of people in this community who rely on you for your donuts? And now you're going to turn around and go to Salt Lake City or go to St. George or go somewhere else? You're being selfish. <laughs> How could you do this to us? Is there anything possible? Is there any situation that could come 
toward that would change your decision? Well, well, why not? How could that be? I need you. I need your donuts. I mean, that's basically what, that's, that's basically in a small, similar type of situation where if, if you take a look at it, what Fridell and everything is, is, is asking in terms of with Kyrie Irving. Don't you know that I need you for my entertainment? Don't, I need, don't you know that I need you? Because I'm a basketball fan, I enjoy watching you play basketball, and now I can't get to see you play basketball uh, as much as possible. You're being selfish. You're letting me down. You know, you're only thinking about yourself. How dare you? Don't you realize my emotions? Don't you realize my feelings? Terrible, horrible. So, look, man, I understand. <laughs> I definitely understand where um, Kyrie is coming with that one. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Look, with Kyrie, KD, James Harden all together, KD comes back, James Harden gets himself in shape, Kyrie gets vaccinated, or the Brooklyn Nets just decide that, you know what, if, if he can play and disregard the, the rules and all we need to do is get fined, then, you know, Josiah has enough money. He's a billionaire. We can go ahead once the uh, playoffs start and, and, and pay the fines if that's necessary. So unless something changes or unless that situation comes about, hey, man, with Kyrie in, uh, in, in playoff shape, relatively healthy, James Harden back in relatively good shape, and KD playing at the level that he was playing at, before he got injured, I think the Brooklyn Nets are the favorites to make it out of the Eastern Conference. Especially, we don't know about the Milwaukee Bucks. They look really good, but we don't know the status of uh, Brook Lopez and when he's going to be coming back. We don't know what's going on with the Philadelphia 76ers. If they don't make a move to uh, upgrade their team by trading Ben Simmons, they're not going to be beating the – They're not. They're, they, they have uh, questions about whether they can um, make it to the NBA Finals. You have the Miami Heat, Bam on the Bayou is out, and Jimmy Butler, he's been in and out of the lineup. So when are they going to finally get together and mesh and gel and get themselves together for a run? So these are all questions in terms of, hey, man, you know, the Brooklyn Nets aren't the only ones who are facing some problems and some situations if the situation with Kyrie remains the same, where he's just going to be playing basketball with the team on road trips in and not in uh, Canada, not in Toronto. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that happens. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us very quickly. The Western Conference standings in the NBA. The Phoenix Suns, 33-9, number one. We are number one. one, one. Number two, Golden State Warriors, 31-12. Number three, seeded Utah Jazz, 29-14. and 14. The Memphis Grizzlies, 31-15. and 15. The Dallas Mavericks, the number five seed. 24 and 19, the Denver Nuggets with the, could you say the best player in the NBA right now? Nikola Jokic. Strong argument, right? 22 and 20, they're the number six seed. The contenders, this is where the uh, bottom falls out in the Western Conference. The number seven seed are the Los Angeles Clippers. Number eight, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Number nine, your Los Angeles Lakers, where Frank Vogel... There's reports coming out that Frank Vogel is on a game-to-game basis in terms of whether he keeps his job or not. So let me see. So he beats Utah. So last night, the Lakers had a good game against Utah. Westbrook dunking over Rudy Gobert. That's okay. If you're going to go for every shot, that's 
If you're going to go for every shot at the rim, you're going to get dunked on, even if you're Alonzo Mourning, even if you're Dikembe Mutombo, even if you're Rudy Gobert. So the Lakers get a solid win, probably their best win of the season, right? If you're thinking about the uh, caliber of team that they beat in the Utah Jazz. So what does that uh, mean for Frank Vogel? Does that mean that if you beat someone the quality of the Utah Jazz, that you know what, if you go ahead and win or if you go ahead and you lose two of the next three, you still get your job or you still get to keep your job? Or if there are a certain team that uh, is coming up on the schedule to where you better win this game or else we're going to fire you? Or are we speaking about, you know, if they go out and they beat a team but they don't look good, if they beat an inferior squad with inferior talent and you don't look good even though they win, does that a, is that a detriment toward Frank Vogel keeping this job? Very, very, very interesting in terms of what's happening with the Lakers. And by the way, who, are, who exactly are you going to uh, replace? Not in our interim basis, but uh, moving forward if you get rid of Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel is the reason why the Lakers are 22-22. and 22. Frank Vogel? Really? What's he going to be doing with that roster? You, 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 you tell me what Frank Vogel is supposed to do with that roster, especially now since Anthony Davis has been out for a little bit. So the Lakers are in ninth place with a 22-22 and 22 record. The Portland Trailblazers 17-25, uh, and 25, and then the number 11 seed Sacramento Kings 18-28, and 28, number 12 San Antonio Spurs 16-25. and 27, New Orleans 16 and 28, OKC Thunder 14 and 28, and taking up the rear, predictably the Houston Rockets 13 and 32. But the biggest news in the Western Conference, and maybe the biggest news so far in the NBA, is the return of the clay. Return of the clay. Return of the clay. Yes, that's return of the clay. Clay Thompson played his first game in 941 days. Sunday night, January 9th, at home against Cleveland. Tremendous ovation for Mr. Thompson, who went 5 of 14 from the floor, 2 of 5 from the three-point line, 17 points, 20 minutes in a 96-82 win over the Cavs. Since his return, Clay has been held under 40% shooting in each of his first four games. He's averaging almost 21 points per game, shooting 35% from the field. And a three-point line on 14 shot attempts per game and averaging 14 points per game. Set out against uh, Chicago. And the Warriors have gone 1-3 in the games that he's played. And without Draymond and Steph Curry, the Warriors have lost 5 of 7, including the Timberwolves, on this past Sunday day. So the bigger reason for that, of course, is not Klay Thompson. It's because of Draymond set, uh, having that calf injury. And now with a setback in his rehabilitation and a minimum, he's going to be out another two weeks. When you think about a guy who has um, the heartbeat, the heart and soul of this team, one of the most intelligent basketball players that we have in the game today, one of the top defenders in the game today, one of the best in terms of blending his passing, his shooting, and everything. If you take a look at that, especially the way that him and Clay, or excuse me, him and Steph have been in such synergy with each other. Um, when you speak about, when you speak about Steph going through a little bit of a slump, uh, you can kind of equate that to the loss of Draymond and some of the easier looks and easier baskets that uh, Draymond provides for a Curry on a consistent basis when those two are together. So these, it's very understandable for Thompson to be starting off slow. As, as I mentioned before, the guy is 59 days away from missing 
a thousand days of not being able to play NBA basketball or being able to play basketball. So since entering the league in 2011, Thompson's never shot worse than 42% in a season. His field goal percentage in a season has not dipped below 47% since the 2014-15 campaign with the Golden State Warriors. So I'm going to go on the assumption, and we know what happens when you assume, but I'm going to... I'm going to uh, go out on a limb and uh, make an ass out of, my, out of myself and say that uh, by the time that the playoffs roll around, that Clay will be shooting closer to that 46, 47% than he is shooting sub 40%. So that's the way I feel about that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us very quickly. Steph Curry has been in a shooting slump month of January through seven games in which the Warriors have gone four and three without him. Yeah, starting the um, started the season twenty nine to six, then went four and three six four and three cents. He's averaging nineteen and a half points. If you equate that with the month of December, he averaged twenty seven. Looking back in November, he averaged close to twenty nine. That's when the MVP for Steph Curry hype train was really moving. This time he's uh, shooting thirty five percent overall, thirty percent for the three point line. Shooting 40% in December, 46% in November. So I guess the quest, the chase for him to become the all-time leader in three-point shots maybe led to him. Is there there such a thing as Clay, as um, Steph Curry forcing shots? Don't you want Steph Curry to be forcing shots? Is that even such a thing as Steph Curry forcing shots? With his range, with his genius to make um, to make baskets, the greatest shooter of all time, given the responsibility that he has, given the not just green light but the purple light to uh, shoot it whenever he wants. I know, quote unquote, there might be a situation where he might take quote unquote bad shots, but Steph Curry shooting bad shots, I haven't seen it this month. He's hadn't shot over fifty percent in the game. He hasn't shot over 50% in the game for the past nine games. He has shot under 40% this month in four of those seven games. If you think about the consecutive games that he had against Miami and Dallas, woo! he was a combined eight for 41 overall, two for 19 from the uh, three-point line. I saw that game against Dallas, man. He was missing everything. But if you take a look at it through all of this nonsense and through all of this speaking about Man, you know, Clay is shooting another 30% and 35%, and Draymond's going to be out another two weeks, and what's going on with Steph and the shooting, and all these things that we can kind of kind of talk about in the negative glass half-empty type of deal. But when everything is all said and done, the Warriors still have the second-best record in the league three games back behind the Phoenix Suns. And in the three games that they played, meaning the Warriors and the Suns, Golden State has won two out of the three. So let's kind of step back a little bit because of the emergence of Andrew Wiggins, because of the emergence of Jordan Poole, because of the emergence of a defender, which is Gary Payton II, because of the acquisition of Georgetown uh, Otto Porter to put in the role that he's being put in, because of the improved play this season of Kevin Looney, because of really the rededication and the commitment to excellence by Draymond Green before he got injured because all of these things are going on right now. When everything is all said and done, and we start getting toward playoff time and championship time, when we get through the dog days of mid-January and February and March and maybe a little bit of April, and we've got Clay 
coming back to getting his NBA legs under him, getting his NBA conditioning under him. When Steph Curry gets out of this shooting slump, which he will, when Draymond returns from injury and is back to being the basketball savant genius on the offensive end as well as being a defensive force on the other side of the basket, when those guys get together, when those guys get back to rip-roaring, ready to go, and as I mentioned before, once Jordan Poole and once Andrew Wiggins and their new responsibilities on the team and getting used to not having as many shots, maybe not having as much freedom as they did before because some of those opportunities are going to be going to clay. So those guys have to get situated with that new thinking and that new responsibility that they have. When the Golden State Warriors finally get it all back together, how dangerous are are they going to be? How good are they going to look? That's the question I need to ask the Memphis Grizzlies here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Man, the Memphis Grizzlies, I mentioned before, this season's Phoenix Suns, John Morant has been playing out of his mind. Now, for the playoffs to be started, Memphis, one of the things that they've been so good at is the fact that their bench is so deep and they can go to so many players, they can play 10, 11 men. So if someone has lost to COVID, that's okay because the person that's starting in place of him is a quality NBA player, so the dip in production is not going to be that uh, far to say if you're with a team like, oh, I don't know, the Los Angeles Lakers. Ooh. So with the Memphis Grizzlies, who had their 11-game winning streak snap against Dallas, it was their eighth game in 12 nights, so you know, last time I checked, uh, there's never been an NBA team that's won a championship that's gone undefeated, so the longest winning streak of all of them all was 33 games by the Lakers, so you know, that, that, that's fine. The, 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 the Grizzlies are allowed to lose a game or two every now and then, but the Grizzlies are rocking. The Grizzlies are rolling. I love their depth. I love their depth. I, I love well what they can do. I love their versatility, and John Morant is playing like an MVP candidate, so Moving forward, man, I tell you what, the NBA season just keeps a-rocking. It just keeps a-rolling. It just keeps a-moving. It just keeps a-grooving. The intrigue, if you throw in COVID, the intrigue, if you talk about uh, some of these surprise teams, the intrigue of what's going to be happening with uh, some of these teams moving down the stretch, it keeps the NBA, in my mind, maybe not yours, but in my mind, it keeps it at a level of fan Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies of liberty Let our rejoicing Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hope everybody enjoyed their Martin Luther King Day by doing everything that you needed to do to make your world, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your place of employment, to make your surroundings a better place to be through love, peace, unity, understanding, listening, learning, shut up, listen, learn from those 
who don't look like you, those from the different side of the globe than you, those of a different political affiliation, those who might worship a different God if they worship a God at all. Listen, learn, educate, understand, respect, then give those teachings back to the younger generation. So in 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years, when the students are in the classrooms and they're speaking about history and they're speaking about world history and they're speaking about U.S. history, they can learn that in the year 2020 and the year 2018 and 19 and the year 2021 and the year 2022, they can look back and marvel about how ignorant, about how selfish, about how racist, about how stupid, about how narrow-minded this society was in terms of race and gender and, 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 and gay rights and LBG uh, and, 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 and women's rights and those type of things. Maybe they can look back in astonishment and say, man, they were really that stupid? They were really that ignorant? They were really that narrow-minded? They were really that racist? And I'll be up in heaven going, yep, we sure were. <laughs> but uh, recording this on January 18th, one day after Martin Luther King Day, in remembrance of Martin Luther King Day, and I want to concentrate on the word day when we're speaking about Martin Luther King Jr. in remembrance and taking a day to remember who the man was, what he accomplished, more importantly, what he died for. He had his foibles, he had his faults, but in terms of who he was, the person that he was, and again, the cause that he died for, let's take a day to remember the importance and the lessons that he taught us to move this society forward. And I say this, how can we move this society forward, really? If we're only going to take a day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it should be Martin Luther King Jr. Day, in remembrance of who he was, what he taught us, what he stood for, what he died for, it should be Martin Luther King Second, Martin Luther King Jr. Minute, hour, day, week, month, year, lifetime, generation, decade. If we're speaking about Martin Luther King Jr. in terms of what he stood for, what he was um, what he was known for, what he died for, that should be what we should be striving for. Not just a day. Kind of hard to keep the momentum going if you're only going to think about it for a day. Then go back to what you were doing before. We're not going to be moving the country. We're not going to be moving the society in the way that we need to do it. We're only going to be doing it for a day. It has to be every single day, every single moment, every single second, every single day that you are living. As you are breathing air, every single thought should be towards what can I do to make myself better through love, peace, unity, understanding, happiness, and moving forward for those who are open and welcome for that type of love and peace and unity and respect because of who they are as a human being, not just because of the color of their skin, not just because of their gender, not just because of how much money they have, not just because of the privilege that they have, not because of their stature amongst the public, not because of their stature amongst being a public figure, not because of what side of the globe that they're from, not because of what type of influence they can have just towards you and you and you only. We need to go ahead and we need to remember what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood for and do it on a more consistent basis. If we're going to be moving this society forward for our children, because as of right now, my generation, your generation, the generation before and after, too late, too late to live in, ut in the utopian society that I want to live in, where everybody is judged by who they are as human beings, by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin, not by their gender, not by how much money they have, not by any of those other 
ancillary things. Those things, those, that type of society, unfortunately, I will not be living in, regardless if I live another five minutes or five decades. So what we need to do for our younger generation that we can go ahead and pass along the lessons of love, peace, unity, harmony, understanding. So everybody, when we're long gone, can live in a world that we wish that we can live in where, again, judge people on who they are as human beings, uh, not on anything else. The only way we get to that is through listening, learning, educating, understanding, and having respect from those who are different than us. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Happy, happy Martin Luther King lifetime. Um, And the only reason why I'm mentioning this is because in the NFL, once again, there's only one black head coach after the firing of Brian Flores in Miami and also the firing of David Culley in Houston. Now, before I go ahead and I start yelling and screaming about, you know, no black head coaches, I want to uh, wait just a little bit, just a little bit to see exactly what happens in terms of who are these Who are these owners going to hire? Who are these GMs going to hire? Who are these president of football operations going to hire before I go ahead and start yelling and screaming? Brian Flores should have had a job already. Brian Brian Flores, if if, if Houston decided to fire David Culley because they had some inside information that quite possibly, quite possibly, uh, Brian Flores might be an option instead of going with Josh McCown, which was one of the reasons uh, David Culley was hired because he was just a – placeholder for Josh McCown, who has no experience as a coach or anything like that. But if all of a sudden Houston decides that, you know what, we're going to make a strong, strong push for a Brian Flores, or if you know what, we're going to make a strong, strong push for Vince Joseph or a uh, Rakeem Morris or a Todd Bowles or a Brian Leftwich or an Eric B. Enemy, and we're going to try to, you know, get one of those guys or at least have those guys come in and interview for the job along with others. I can, I can kind of live with that. If Eric B Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, many, many others get the opportunity and have the opportunity to become head coaches. And let's just say, for instance, with this cycle of teams who are needing head coaches, if there's a situation where four or five black men have the, opportunity to coach a football team and get the job, well, then I'm going to taper my thoughts and opinions about how horrible and how bad and how racist the NFL is. Now, I'm not going to let them off the hook. I'm definitely not going to let them off the hook. But before I give my final synopsis in terms of what my thoughts and opinions are about the hiring processes in the NFL, let me just go ahead and see what level – I'm going to be I'm going to be given it because I'm not going to be giving a level of the NFL is hopelessly racist and it's horrible and it's you know based on if if none of the black candidates get hired and we're just going to do the same old damn thing and and hiring the same old the same old white guys or the white guys who get jobs I'm going to go ballistic but if there's situations where Brian Flores and others do get jobs I'm going to be tempered just a little bit. I'm still going to be disappointed because I still don't think that's going to be enough, enough, but I'm not going to uh, go off as much as I'm going to. And it's very simple here in terms of we always ask this question. We always ask this question when it comes to, man, why can't black folks get jobs and this, that, and the other? We, we do this every single, every single season at the end of the season. 
We, we talk about it, we yell about it, we complain about it, we go on and on about it for about 12 hours. And then we kind of go back and we see these white guys get hired and then there might be a little peep about, I can't believe there's no black coaches who got jobs and Eric Bieniemy got screwed again and what are we going to do? And this is, this is horrible and this is terrible. And then it goes away and the NFL weathers the storm and we just kind of move on to something else. And it's like, hey, take a look at the shiny object over here. Don't pay any attention to the subject that we were talking about. Don't take a look at this problem over there. Take a look at the shiny new object over there, which is what we do when it comes to hiring the hiring of black head coaches. We speak about the Rooney rule needs to be changed and what can we do? What can we do? Here's what we can do. We always put the blame on the owners, right? Well, let's let's put it this way. I think the owners would probably, most of these owners would probably go ahead and hire Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. They would probably dig up their corpses if it meant that these guys could win championships and maximize upon the um, the, the the financial uh, benefits of owning a football team. So to me, it's a matter of we have to have not just owners, we have to have strong general managers and strong president of football operations to tell these guys that, look, this black man that's the head coach that I'm hiring, he can get the job done. I believe in this guy. I'm not going with another retread. I'm not going with another Mike McCarthy. I'm not going with another Dave Wanstead. I'm not going with another Rich Kotite. I'm not going with another one of those guys. All right, I'm going to give this guy a chance, and I believe in him. So that president of football operations, so that GM of that football team is going to have to convince this owner, if you want to win football games, because let me tell you something. Yes, we live in a racist society. Yes, we live in an ignorant society. Yes, we live in a privileged society, no doubt. But there's one thing that supersedes all of that stuff, and that's winning. And I tell you, when you speak about these fan bases, when you think about these football franchises, when you think about these uh, uh, cities where these professional football teams are playing, if you can win and you can win Super Bowls and you can have a dynasty, I'm quite sure the high majority of people who go to see these games, who pay to see these games, who go to the advertisers of these games, who buy merchandise from these teams, they wouldn't give a damn if the coach was black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Islamic, they wouldn't give a damn if the guy just got off the plane slamming it to the World Trade Center. As long as these guys could win themselves football games and win themselves championships and make sure that their parlays are taken care of and make sure they can win their fantasy football leagues, it doesn't matter exactly what they do. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter anything. So that's the one common denominator. That's the one common thing which can supersede, which can overcome Racism, ignorance, and all those type of things concerning a color of a man's skin. Win football games. Now, if you're that general manager, if you're that guy that's in charge of that, you have to be strong enough to let that owner know that, hey, man, you know, this is, this is going to be the guy for me. Would it put his job in jeopardy? If you truly believe that this is the man, hire him. Hire him. And convince the owner that's part of your job. Part of your job as a GM, part of your job as a, a president of football operations, part of your job of being the right-hand man for your owner is to go ahead and tolerate him but be able to persuade him, to make him understand 
that, yes, this is the best man for the job. But you want to win Super Bowls? Jerry Jones, Stephen Ross, Robert Kraft, Steve Bashotti, all of these guys, Jackass, Daniel Snyder, all of these guys, they all want to win championships. They all want to win Super Bowls. No question about it. So this general manager or this president of football operations has to say, you want to win championships? You want to do what the uh, Patriots and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady did? This is the man to do it. Now, maybe not at the level that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, that's once in a lifetime, that's once in a never going to happen again. But if you want to win a championship, this can be the coach that can get it done. If you want to maximize on what this team can do and maximize your ability to make that money and have that influence and sell that merchandise and get that advertising, then that's what you have to do. That's, this is the guy that you have to hire. Because it's easy, once again, to uh, hire mostly white folks and then black folks get up in arms about it and woke folks get up in arms about it when, damn, when the owners don't see that there's a problem, the fan base doesn't see that there's a problem, and the advertisers don't see that there's a problem. So if you had a string of, if, if you're the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, right, and you had a string, with say, in five years of hiring seven coaches, and all of them were white, and all of a sudden the fan base rebelled, the advertisers rebelled, everybody that put money into your pockets as far as that organization rebelled, no one was going to the uh, games, no one was buying season tickets, no one was buying merchandise, if those things happened, because, you know what, we're getting sick and tired of you hiring the same old, tired, lame type of coaches. All white, all terrible, all horrible. Give us something different. Give us something, uh, give us the best coach which is available regardless of being white or black. And by the way, if you do hire the best black head coach and, you see, and we see some growth in that area, well, then guess what? Those advertisers will come back to you. Guess what? People will start buying your merchandise again. Guess what? The fan base will continue. Guess what? People buying season tickets will, will, go, will come out of the woodwork. People buying luxury suites and stuff will come out of the woodwork. Businesses will want to work with you again. If we really had that scenario, that's the only scenario which is going to happen in terms of these owners or these football uh, franchises finally doing something for real and hiring black head coaches the way it's going right now. Because most of the fan base who buys season tickets for these uh, football teams, they don't see a problem. The owners don't see a problem. The advertisers don't see a problem. People putting money into their pocket do not see a problem. The national sponsors for the league, they don't see a problem. The folks who watch the games, they don't see a problem. And even if we do see a problem, we're still going to watch these games. So that is the problem that's, that is looking us right in front of the face. And how are we going to change that? How are we going to uh, change that narrative? We can start by having strong people up top in terms of front offices, GMs, and presidents of football operations to let these owners know that, yes, hiring these black men or hiring this black man is going to be the best for your business and best for the organization. All right, I'm done. I'm good. I'm out of here. Glad I got that off my chest. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Um, Black History Month is coming up next month, huh? I said it before. It's the shortest month, the coldest month, but we'll take what we can get.
in terms of the recognition. Make sure that we recognize Black History Month, the history, the future, the present, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year. If you're white, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're fat, if you're skinny, if you're poor, if you're rich, uh, recognize. Recognize, recognize Dr. Martin Luther King, recognize Malcolm X, rec- recognize Jack Johnson, recognize Medgar Evers, recognize Paul Robeson, recognize Aretha Franklin, recognize Mahalia Jackson, recognize um, um, Thurgood Marshall, recognize John Coltrane, recognize Otis Redding, recognize the folks, recognize Sam Cooke, recognize Levi Stubbs, recognize the Civil Rights Movement, recognize those who brought us to where we are today. We have so far to go, so far to go. So far to go, but we are making strides every single day. Not as quickly as I want, but um, we got to keep hope alive and keep it moving. Special dedication to John Lewis. Special dedication at the Thurgood Marshall again. Special dedication for those who have fought and died and sacrificed in the struggle for all of us. For those whose days that we celebrate with a national holiday and for those whose names we have no idea who they are, including some of the names that I wouldn't know. Give thanks, give praise, give your thoughts, give your sympathy, give your love, give your remembrance, and give your best for those to make this world moving forward a better place to be. Music. Smile. 